I think it's safe to say that we've all been hungry for some positive developments. And uh, this feels like a positive development for us today at St. George's Church. Very, very uh, limited reopening to in-person public worship um, in a way that uh, has been very carefully planned and uh, we've tried our best to conform to varying layers of guidelines that come to us from federal government, state government, the mayor, and our bishop. And I want to say that uh, it's great to worship with other people um, in addition to having the ongoing privilege of uh, worshiping into a camera. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. And I want to add to that um, great respect for many more of our brothers and sisters in Christ here at St. George's Church who uh, don't feel it's the right time for them yet to re-enter into in-person public life here at St. George's. And uh, it's important for people to make that decision on their own as they deem wise. Lastly, I want to say that I have tremendous compassion for a lot of our members who would be first in the door. Our stalwart members uh, who, because of perhaps some pre-existing health issues, uh, other concerns, have been dissuaded from returning to in-person worship just yet. A lot of compassion, and I'm so sorry about that. But there has been another positive development in recent days, and that is the return of the St. George's Farmer's Market. Two Thursdays now it has been open. And in the spring and summer months, I think it may be that I mark time differently uh, than just simply looking at my calendar. I mark time with each fresh bag of peaches from the peach truck. And can I get from one Thursday to the next before it runs out? So I bought my first bag of Georgia peaches from the peach truck uh, just last week. Waited a couple of days, left them in the bag as you're supposed to so they could get perfectly ripe. And then one evening before I went to bed, I set the coffee and pulled out two peaches, laid them on the counter, and I noticed that my mouth was already watering. This, this longing for something that I love, that I've missed, but that is going to be there for me again in a new morning. So even in fruit, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I want to suggest this is just kind of a micro-analogy, a micro-analogy for today, uh, that the space uh, between anticipating the first fresh peaches of the season and actually tasting them is like the space that Christians inhabit ever since Jesus ascended into heaven to reign at the right hand of the Father and his promised coming again. At some point, Jesus stopped appearing to his disciples. The Bible tells us that this happened 40 days after that first Easter morning after his resurrection. The story is known as the Ascension, and that story you just heard moments ago uh, from the book of Acts. So as we have been celebrating as Christians throughout the Easter season, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have decisively turned a corner in human history. Easter inaugurates 
the new day. It is the risen Christ who pulls us out of our self-inflicted death spiral. That's not to say, however, that sin and death have completely disappeared. Of course, we know that's not true. We can look at our own lives. We can look at the world and our history. So by way of another analogy, we might say it's, it's kind of like 10 to 1 in the bottom of the ninth inning. But the losing team, the evil one, is still at the plate, still swinging for the fences. The game is not over yet. The outcome is determined, but the game is not over yet. We await the final definitive sunrise. And the book of Acts describes the event in this way. The resurrected Jesus is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. It's just east of Jerusalem. And the disciples ask him when it will come to pass that he will inaugurate the final consummation. When will that dawn? And Jesus says it's not within their um, capacity to know, but that day will come. But in the meantime, he promises them that they are going to receive a power of God that will enable them to be him, to represent his saving work for the world in the meantime. And then as the disciples were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Two millennia later, we are still waiting. And I know that because of our modern sensibilities, our hearing is challenged in this story to imagine anything other than, um, an, say, an image of um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Tony Stark, in the Iron Man movies, you know, a rocket shooting up into the skies. But I also note that the book of Acts tells the story of the ascension with a kind of minimalism, a kind of austerity, as if Luke, who's the author himself, didn't quite know how to describe in words what had happened, except that it did happen, that Jesus in his physical resurrected body visually departed from the disciples and was taken to the Father in heaven where he reigns alongside him. And the disciples saw this happen and they knew what they saw, even if it's hard to explain. But what does the ascension mean for us? Or better put, what does the ascension mean for us now in this season that we are continuing to endure? Because we know the experience of loving something or someone and it leaving us. Things loved, leaving us. Things loved, like the ability to gather with friends and fellowship, left us. A sense of control. Confidence about the future. Peace and security about our health. Peace and security about our finances or the economy. Participation in a vibrant city. Can't go to restaurants, can't go to shows. Really not supposed to be out all these weeks. Participation in a vibrant church. Worship and fellowship here together. All these things have left us as if they were shot up into the sky like a rocket. And so we yearn for that which we have lost. Like having to go from about mid-August all the way to May waiting for another fresh peach from Georgia to touch our lips. I want to suggest that the American dream, uh, as it has morphed in modern times, is about everybody's freedom to fill their longings and their appetites 
um, the desires of our hearts as we wish. But I think that the coronavirus has worked in millions of Americans to unmask the reality that we have deeper longings, greater hungers than we even realized. So here is the the counterintuitive question for times like this. What if the happy and fruitful life were not so much about fulfilling any and every personal desire that you may have as about living honestly, wrestling honestly with and inside the right unfulfilled desires, at least for the time being, to live in the place and explore the place more and more where we miss more of God. I believe this is an immensely immensely important time right now. I believe that God is wanting to enter the lives of people who have never been open to that in their history. God is wanting to enter the lives who have been open to that even more profoundly. And I'm praying that for you, and I'm praying that for myself. And yet I I do say that I worry that many, many will not take advantage of this opportunity. And that this season will come and it will go eventually, God willing. And we will have failed to ask God to fill the deepest desires of our hearts. Because we are, each one of us, created by God with an immense capacity, whether we know it or not, to experience God, to discern God, to sense God, indeed, to know God personally. But in the normal course of events, the outside world and the internal desires smother it. At least that's true for me. And these are not normal times. These are not normal times. The disciples see Jesus go into heaven, and they they look at the empty space where he had been. And I discern in the story that they miss him. Two angels have to come alongside them. You miss him, and I miss him. We miss a lot of things. We miss having more faith than fear. We miss having more peace than anxiety. We miss having more assurance, real assurance, than all the uncertainty that we also have. And here's the beginning, I think, of the good news. Somewhere by God's grace that's been there all along, there is already implanted in us the desire for Christ. Otherwise, we would not sense that we're missing more, that there's more. God puts that there. Part of his leaving, part of the risen Christ's ascension, a part of it, is that we would yearn for him In his absence, more and more and more. We would grow in our yearning until he does come again in that great consummation when he shall reign forever, once for all. So I've heard that there is a liturgical tradition in some churches, and I gather this is from some time ago, that that when the congregation gathers to celebrate the Feast of the Ascension, that was this Thursday, but we're celebrating it here today, Sunday, Someone, after the reading 
of the gospel, it'd be like after David had read the gospel account, goes up and snuffs out the Paschal candle. It's like, Jesus is gone. Psst. Party's over. Turn the lights out. That's not it. Because also what happens is each member of the congregation is given their own candle. They're each given their own candle. Because we are the ongoing presence, bodily presence, of the risen Jesus in the world in the meantime. Jesus goes to be with the Father in heaven where he reigns and connects us to that relationship as if by a tether until again he comes again and brings heaven to earth and earth to heaven. In the meantime, in this gap, may our mouths water with deeper and deeper desire for him. May we ask the risen and ascended Jesus to help us taste and to see, to help us recognize the deepest desires of our heart are those only that he can fill. Only he can fill desires, perhaps, that have been uncovered as never before for you and for me in recent weeks. And in this desire, in this desire, we, we carry on. We carry on. We carry on in hope. And at the very least, we'll come back here again next Sunday, sitting far apart and wearing masks and looking at our computer screens. And we will hear again how we, in fact, are tethered to the Christ who reigns and how our candles are lit.